And once again, we're, we're here after uh, a major tragedy, and, um, and it, it seems like it's going on forever, and I can just tell you right now that um, things are going to continue in this way until our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, returns, and He wipes away every tear from every eye. And he makes all things right. We believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ, our simple message, the one thing that we're trying to get across, certainly there's, there's other aspects to this, but if there's one thing that we're going to tell you about, it's going to be the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's because of this. We believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the healing element in our world. We believe that the gospel can bring about healing to any and all situations. We believe that it can bring absolute and complete peace in our world, although that won't happen in its fullness until Jesus returns. But what we do know is this, is that right here and right now, we can have peace in our lives, and the gospel is the greatest tool that we have in our uh, scriptures for bringing about change in our world. So before you lose hope and say, what's the world coming to? Before you get all worked up because of the, the media and the, the news that you're watch, watching or listening to, you need to know and understand that God has not lost sight of us. He never changes. He's always in control. He's the one who understands what's taking place here. He's the one who can bring healing. He is the one that we serve. And so we get to celebrate that this morning. We're going to be in James chapter 2, and so you can turn there with me while you're turning there. Uh, just a couple of things. I want to encourage you as a church to remain strong in your giving through the end of the year. Remain strong in your giving financially to the church body here. We, we just raised uh, over $8,000 uh, for our Thanksgiving event. Uh, some of those dollars come out of the general fund because people like to give uh, towards people who don't have uh, food more than they do to our general fund. But I can just tell you this, that we have a vision for our city. We want to see our city be healed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to bring healing and peace and restoration and food and tangible things uh, to people's lives in the community, in our elementary schools and other schools that we get involved with. And so wh when you give, it helps all of us work together better and we're able to uh, do great things in the community as you give. So remain strong through the end of the year. We have a new giving system that we implemented, I, I want to say, a couple of months ago. And it's through something called Planning Center. And here's one way that you can help us out. If you give currently through your credit card, through your Visa or your MasterCard or something like that, we hope that you're not adding debt by giving uh, to the church. We would rather you not give than add debt to yourself in that sense, um, absolutely. But the reason why we set that up is because uh, nobody really carries checkbooks or cash with them any longer. It's just the way that our generation has gone. And so we wanted to make that available. But we pay 3% to Visa or MasterCard or, or to the bank. Who, I, I'm not sure who we're, we're paying somebody, okay? And so part of your tithe, when you give towards that, part of that goes to pay for that service. Now, when we were a smaller church, it wasn't that big of a deal. It was a smaller amount of money. Now that we've uh, gotten larger, giving has gone up. That becomes a larger number. I can't tell you for certain uh, off the top of my head what that number is that we pay uh, 3% out of uh, towards each gift. It depends on what your gift is, obviously, 3% of what you're giving. And so one of the ways that you can help us is you can go online, outwardchurch.com forward slash give, 
if you're a regular giver and enter in your bank account uh, information. We don't have it. It's through a third party. You can enter in uh, your bank account information, and they can withdraw it directly out of your bank account rather than going through a credit card service. And then it only costs us, I think it's 25 cents versus 3%. So what you can do is you can go on to outwardchurch.com forward slash give. We'll be putting up a tutorial video on exactly how to do this. Um, but long story short, if you click at the top once you log in, uh, there should be a little thing, little tiny words that say profile. I wish that was larger. That's their system right now. So click on your profile, something or other, and you can add in a bank account. It takes a little bit of doing, but if you give regularly to the church, that would very much help us. If you don't know your bank account number, you've got larger problems than, uh, <laughs> than I'm going to be able to, to help with. And I, either way, I want to I encourage you in this, that uh, you giving at all is better than not giving. So don't just stop giving because, oh, 3% goes that. Please uh, go along and, and do this for now. We will continue to have that service uh, available uh, for quite some time. That's one of the best ways that you can do this. Please give generously through the end of the year. Don't let up. It's going to help us finish out the year very well. I want to already thank you for your generosity because God has been good in and through this. But we have more. We have more that God has, has called us to. Um, secondly... If you haven't begun serving, it's one of the key things uh, that we have as, as part of our church. We don't want a church of consumers. We want to pe be people who are consumed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are multiple areas where, where you can help and serve. Uh, most notably, let me just say this. We believe security on our campus is, is very important, uh, especially today. We want to have more um, uh, specifically men. Uh, and some men who are, are trained, like if you're in law enforcement, um, you know about those types of things. We'd especially like that. If you're not and you just, you just think you, you could take somebody down, like that would be really awesome. Like, and we'd love to see you do that. Um, to the right people, of course. You know, but, uh, you know, we, we want to be safe. We protect, our, we protect our kids. And we have people uh, there right now. They walk the parking lot. Um, a few, several weeks ago, there was a man with his pants down walking for those doors. And I was in the middle of a sermon trying to go, oh, please don't, oh, please don't, oh, please don't. And guess what? Our security guys caught that. So you can help out in security. <laughs> so I don't know if we should ask for volunteers right now or not. But the way that you can get involved with that is you can go back to the, the yellow desk that's just through this back hallway here. It's called Grand Central. And you can sign up. Matt Baldwin, who is our volunteer coordinator, will be there. And you can serve in that way. A couple other things. Uh, hospitality, children's, Sunday production, uh, cleaning team. Uh, lots of cool things to do. And you can begin uh, serving in those respects, especially during the holidays. Because we're such a young church, we lose some people over the holidays because they go home from school and, and so forth. And so it would be very helpful to us if you could participate. And it's kind of an expectation when you become a Christian that you serve the body. So uh, if you know the gospel, then you will respond to the gospel. So uh, we'll, I think that was the last. Oh, last thing. Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve Eve. We're not doing Christmas Eve. We're doing two days before Christmas. So Christmas Eve Eve. So don't be, don't be confused by that. Here's why. I want to be with my family, uh, my personal family, not just my, my church family. I want to be with my church fam my personal family on Christmas Eve. I think that you do too, and I don't want to ask our volunteers to be doing that on Christmas Eve. It gets hectic. It gets, it gets crazy. Here's what we want you to do. Invite as many people as possible to two services on Christmas Eve Eve. This is December 23rd. 6 p.m. and 7.30. Invite many, many people to come hear the gospel and hear 
fantastic music. God is going to do uh, something great. We might have the snow machine going again. Uh, that's a little crazy with the kids. We might, we're probably going to do hot chocolate, things like that. It will be a great night. Candlelight service, fantastic. You should come. Be a part of it. We're doing it then so that you can come and not be away from your family. So be a part of that. Three things, giving, serving, going. Come to church on December 23rd. We will do that. And then the following Sunday, we'll have a quicker service. I know that sounds like a lie because I try to do quick sermons, and it just doesn't happen, but I, I, we're, we're actually going to shorten the service, and it's going to be a quick one week after Christmas, and, uh, and that'll be great. So please come to that as well. Be a part of the church. Uh, let's get going here. James chapter 2, we'll pick it up actually in the verse just prior to that, um, in verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. That's where we landed this last week. And so uh, what he's just done, what James has just done, is he's, he's kind of created an outline. And he's essentially said uh, that this is what it looks like to be pure and undefiled before God is that you, you care about widows and orphans, uh, you care about people who are uh, afflicted, and that you're living morally pure. And so now he's going to begin in this idea of caring for people. Chapter 2, verse 1, and I'm going to read the whole thing here, and then we'll get going in, in just a moment. But really, listen to this, because this is the most important part. My brothers and sisters... I'll add that in uh, because it includes all of us. Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, into your church, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you, if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and say, oh, sit here in this good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Okay. James is, he's really handing it to his church and he's saying, listen, I'm hearing about some problems. I'm hearing about some issues. I'm, I'm hearing that there's some partiality going on. Today, we'd say 
discrimination. There's some, there's some discrimination and some favoritism. There's some exclusivity. There's some major issues going on in this church. And the main issues have to do with these people who are poor, who are coming in, and the poor people that we're talking about are the equivalent of the homeless. They're the equivalent of the homeless people in their society. They have shabby clothing on. And so here this church is, and like somebody's coming in, and they smell bad, or they, their clothing isn't very nice, or whatever, and they, they, they come in, and they, they try to push them off to the side. And they say, you know, you can sit over there. But then somebody comes in, and, and, and uh, they look pretty nice. They've got a gold ring on. They're, they're, uh, you know, they're wearing the latest clothes. And the people in this church are essentially saying, oh, you should sit here. You should, you, you should sit over here. And so there's this major problem with the poor who are being discriminated against. But not many of us today would say, you know, we have a problem with discriminating against the poor. In part, that may be because it's very sexy to care about people who are needy today. And in some ways, this generation oftentimes says that it wants to be about those things. Whether we actually enter into those things is another story. A lot of times we can talk out of both sides of our mouth. I want to, but I'm too busy. Yeah, we shouldn't discriminate, but someone else should take care of that. So here's, here's the problem. I mean, they're being discriminated against, and they have the, this issue. And our problem is that we don't oftentimes see ourselves as being very discriminatory. We don't see ourselves as discriminating. In our world today... This is a hot topic as well because in, on, in, on very many levels, you look at the, the Health Care Act, what, what's commonly called Obamacare. It's caring for the poor. That's, that's, that's what's going on. There's people who support it. There's people who don't support it. There's uh, all kinds of programs, whether it's welfare programs or things of that nature, that, that people are saying, we need to take care of these people. It's discrimination if we don't take care of them. And in some ways, they're right. In some ways, they're right. Our society, a just society, should take care of the least of these. So what we have here is we have this idea that James is speaking against the church and saying, you guys discriminate, and yet we today oftentimes don't think of ourselves as being very discriminatory. We don't think that we have an issue with this. But really, it may be our same issue. It's just in different ways. When you think about the church and the way that we're put together, oftentimes there is another type of favoritism or discrimination. There are discriminations or favoritism for people that we get along with. It's the people that we like being around. It's the people who see things the way that we do. It's, it's people who are not political adversaries. It's people uh, who uh, commit to a, a sexual purity perhaps on the way that we do. That's, that's a type of favoritism. That's a type of discrimination. It's, uh, again, those people with uh, different political views. It's cliques within the local body. And we, we create little cliques when we create community groups. Uh, we call them outward communities. But sometimes our community groups turn into cliques. And people get really bonded and we, we come together. And that's a good thing. We're trying to build community. But then we misunderstand that and we say, we think it's just for us. It's just for me. It's just for me and my group of people. And then oftentimes we, we get in these groups and then uh, sometimes uh, somebody comes to the group who might have a lot of needs, maybe going through a difficult period, 
Or maybe they, maybe they are poor. And sometimes what happens is that we don't want to take that on. It's just too much. I don't want to deal with everyone's problems. I, want to, I don't want to be there. I came here to hang out with friends. I came here to find people that I really connect with. People that dress like me. People that talk like me. People that have a similar job. But it seems to miss the point, doesn't it? Because someone comes into your gathering because it doesn't say it's just the church gathering. It says into your assembly, which really means like when you get together, some of the things that happen in those situations is that the the poor people are, are shoved out or the people who have needs are shoved out. And we really honor the people. And I think we do this completely unintentionally. I don't think anybody in this room would say, you know what, i I'm just a racist. I, you know, it's just who I am. That's who God made me to be. I'm, I'm discriminatory. I like favoritism. But here's the truth. Like, really, deep down, all of us have an issue with favoritism. We really want to hang out with people. We really want to, we, we want to have lunch with people that are in a similar stage of life. We want, to, we want to hang out with people that can benefit us. I want to spend time with you. Sometimes people come and they say, you know, I want to be mentored. I want to be mentored, and, and I, I, want you to give, I want you to give me something with never any thought of how I'm going to give back. I just want to be mentored. Young people are famous for this. Uh, I was like this. I, I, I'm always coming to, to, to these guys saying, would you speak into my life? But then I never think about how I could, how I could uh, serve them back. There's some, there's some things that I can do to serve them. We're discriminatory. We have favoritism. We think of ourselves. We, we, we think that we're the most important person. We've talked about this before, but there's so much of this going on today in our world, not just in our church. It's a part of who we are. So, much of a, so many of us think that it is all about me, but really there's just massive amounts of discrimination going on. Take the shooting down in San Bernardino. It was birthed if the terrorism charges do turn out to be right, and I believe it will, it was birthed through discrimination. One religion saying to a people group, or another religion as they uh, possibly think of it, infidels, they might call us, one religion speaking out against another and murdering over that. But you know what sometimes our response is to that? And I'm not making a political commentary here. I'm making a theological commentary our response to that is oftentimes to say, we need to, to discriminate back. See, that, those murders took place in the context of favoritism. And as a result, what we want to do is we want to turn around and we want to do the same thing. We want to disqualify them from regular life. We, it, it extends to this refugee crisis in Syria and lots of Christians are involved in this. It's, it's been a hot topic for some time. But people have, have said, you know, our country isn't trying to keep us safe because they're letting the refugee in. And President, President Obama, right or wrong, kind of quotes James and says, I thought we were supposed to be concerned about the widows and orphans. But many of us are saying, like, I feel unsafe When we let people from the Middle East in, I feel unsafe when I don't know who those people are. And I'm with you. I don't feel safe. (laughs) But what's the problem there? The root of it is discrimination. It's favoritism. 
And so what's happening is that one side is discriminatory and then the other side is discriminatory back. Take racism. By and large, the African-American population in our country, past, present, and maybe even future, has undergone a lot of discrimination. It's, it's brutal when you think about it. It's absolutely brutal. It's horrible. If, if you've ever watched the Civil War documentary from uh, Ken Burns, it details the Civil War and, and some of the, the abuses that uh, African Americans were going through at that point. That's awful. And then you watch uh, an, another one of his documentaries, The West by Ken Burns. And then it details how, you, you know, you think the Civil War has finally gotten over and people are going to resettle this country and everything's going to be fine. But discrimination and racism like ran throughout our society. And then you have the advent of the KKK and what they're doing to try to eliminate uh, African Americans from our society. And then recently you have uh, what's been happening in the news over and over again, law enforcement against the African American population. So what is that birth? That births Black Lives Matter. And to be sure, black lives do matter. But then the police officers respond with cops' lives matter because they're being shot now. And then some other people stand up and say, hey, all lives matter. And what's happening? This horrific discrimination that's been perpetrated by Caucasian Americans is, is going on this level. And so then it bursts this other movement, which in many cases, like they need to say, hey, we matter. But then some people have taken that to extreme, and now they've discriminated against the police officers or now even white people. So there's discrimination that's going back and forth and back and forth to be sure they've gotten the worst end of the deal. I'm not in any way saying that they have not. But what I'm saying is this, is that every problem in our society is riddled through with discrimination and favoritism. It's riddled through with this. Every single one of us suffers from this deal. And then Christians as a result, it's not just in our community groups. It's not just in the way that we treat people when they come to our church. But it's in our society. The number one thing. The, the number one thing that I hear over and over again is this. I thought that God is love, yet I don't see love coming out of Christians. Now, to be sure, if you're a biblical Christian, you'll have some views that will never be reconciled with that. But I want to tell you, more often than not, it doesn't have to do with those hot-button issues, like, a, like homosexuality, abortion, uh, you know, whatever else. What it has to do with is daily interaction with Christians, the way that they assert the things that they're saying. Like, th there's nothing that fires me up more than to hear Christians to hear about Christians who have mistreated people who disagree with them. It's the, the person in Portland who has rainbow flags all over their, their house. And the, the Christian person, uh, the non, I'm sorry, that was a non-Christian person who has rainbow flags all over their house. A Christian person comes and leaves an angry note and says, you know, uh, whatever. It's a horrible note to that person. Rather than saying, you know what? Uh, 
that doesn't bother me at all because that's not against me. That's against God. And God knows that I've, I've sinned against him plenty of times. That's God's deal. That's not my deal. I get to show mercy and grace in this. But instead, what happens is this. I discriminate. I stiff arm. I show favoritism and I say, you know what? I'm only putting my kids in Christian schools. Or I'll play on a Christian softball team, but I won't play on a non-Christian softball team because I don't like the swearing. Or I don't like the drink. I don't like those, that lifestyle. I can't be around that because somehow I'm in some kind of Christian bubble and I'm perfect. See, he, here's what's going on. Like what you believe comes out in how you act. And specifically in this way, what you believe about God comes out in how you act. You say, well, I don't really believe in God. That's okay. What you believe about God comes out in how you act. I believe in God, and I, and, you know, I think I believe all the right things. No, what you really believe about God comes out in the way that you treat people. And what James is saying here, he starts off from the very top just saying, this these two things are incongruent. You cannot have partiality, discrimination, favoritism. You cannot have that and hold, in the other hand, faith in God. Read the first verse again. He says, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot say that I'm a Christian and yet hold some of these attitudes. Treat people with disrespect. Yell at people who you don't like or disagree with. Get angry. I've seen this time and time again. Being a Republican is not of God. Okay? It's not just because you're a Republican does not mean that you have favor with God. There may be some things that you agree with within that platform, but there dang well better be some things that you disagree with. Because Republicanism is not God. It is not the scriptures. And we spend our time, we spend our lives it, taking in all of these, whatever it is, from news and, and, and uh, radio and, and TV and podcasts and so forth. And we wonder why we're inundated with this idea that somehow my religion is deeply tied up in my political views. And so what happens as a result is that those of us who are more conservative in our viewpoints get so angry and we lash out and we say things. Do you know what that is? That's showing partiality, it's discrimination, it's favoritism, it's a misunderstanding of who you are in God. It's a complete denial of some things. And James says here, you cannot be a racist, bigoted person. You cannot show favoritism and hold in the other hand that somehow this, this dream 
this fallacy that somehow you have faith. Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And then he's using an example from their time, saying, here you have these people who are poor, and you're not showing them any respect. And ultimately what he says here in verse 4 is he says, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Like James' primary issue with that, when you and I judge somebody who sins in a way that we don't like to sin or that's really taboo in the Christian community, when you and I uh, mistreat our neighbors and say, you know, you shouldn't, when you and I, like, fill in the blank with whatever, when you and I do that, do you know what happens? We're standing or sitting, as it were, on the throne of life saying, do you know who God is? I'm, I am now the righteous judge. I'm sitting on my righteous throne, and I'm going to determine that you're going to hell. I'm going to determine that your political views stink. I'm going to determine that you shouldn't have fill in the blank. And what James says there is he says, when you mistreat people in that way, you're setting yourself up as a judge. You think that you're a righteous judge, but the truth is you are a judge with evil thoughts. You're perpetuating evil. You're causing it to just go on and on and on. Where's, where's the end in sight of all of these problems in our world? Racism. Black lives matter. Cops' lives matter. All lives matter. White lives matter. Terrorism. Uh, Muslims should be allowed in the United States. Muslims shouldn't be allowed in the United States. Uh, what, what's going to rectify this situation? It's not going to be you and I standing as a judge with evil thoughts. Because there's only one righteous judge. And you ain't it, okay? I can guarantee you that. And I want to tell you, sometimes I think I am. But I'm probably not, right? I'm not that righteous judge either. We become judges with evil thoughts. And then he says in verse 5, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? What did he just say there? He just said something that's, that's kind of interesting. And I'm going to tell you what it is as soon as I can find it in my notes here. I don't normally do this. don't even normally look at my notes, but... Yes, there we go. What did he just say? When you judge other people with evil thoughts, here's what's going on. You're disregarding God's design. Look at what he says. Uh, Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? So what, is, what it's saying here is it's saying, you think that you're the judge, but God's the one who's the creator. He's the one with his electing love, He's the one who's called the poor in a different way than the way that the, the, the rich have been called. 
In fact, it's easier for the poor to come to him. It's easier for the poor to get there. But what this also could lead you to believe is this, is that God is preferential. God is discriminatory toward the rich. So some of you may, you may have a big, big account. You may have a lot of dollar bills. And you may be thinking, well, is, is God discriminating against me? But here's the thing. Here's what happens when we have a lot of money. Here's what happens when we have a lot of money. We get self-dependent. You ever uh, looked at Romans, I'm sorry, uh, Revelation chapter 3. In, uh, in verse 15, it is a judgment against the church in Laodicea. It's a church in a city. And here's the judgment, okay? This is Jesus speaking to this church and he says this, I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot. That's not a good thing. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, listen to what they say. These are people who are lukewarm. It's a church and people are just kind of like, you never change. If that's what you're saying, you're in trouble. Uh, you never change. You know, it's, it's lukewarm. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's being lukewarm. Where does lukewarm come from? What is that? For you say, I am rich. Like literally, these people are saying, hey, I have everything I need. I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. You know where a lackluster church comes from? A bunch of people who think that they got it figured out. It's a bunch of people who think, I've got this deal under control. I'm, I'm cool. I don't really need to worship this God because I don't really get a whole lot from him because I'm, you know, I'm really providing for myself. Like these gifts that came innately in my mind and in my body, my physical skills, my looks, um, and I have a lot to thank God for, right? But uh, you knew it was coming, right? Uh, like, like I, I can thank myself for getting into my DNA and my, my genes and my whatever else is in there. And I can just thank myself. I have everything I need. I'm rich. I need nothing. And what this says here is, you say that you're rich. You say that you prospered. You say that you need nothing. But here's what you don't understand not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. You know what that is? It's ultimately this pride that says, I've got life handled. I've got this worked out. So what James is saying here, if I can go back there, what James is saying is he's saying, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? You know what this is saying? This is saying, I think I have everything physically taken care of because I have money. Because I have this worked out. You know what we're always trying to do? We're always trying to fix a spiritual problem with a physical solution. What Jesus says to that church is that you, you think that you're rich, you don't have any other needs, but you don't understand that you're wretched, you're pitiable, you're poor, you're blind, you're naked, 
And then he's going to say, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by the fire. He says, what, what you think is gold is not gold. What you think is really uh, great in life is not really great in life. And so God is saying this. He's saying the poor are way more in touch with the reality that they came into this world naked and they're probably going to leave this world with very little. And so when you and I, we come and we make judgments and this and that and the other thing, there's something that's happening in our minds. There's, there's something that's taking place, and that is we're denying God's design. We're denying God's oversight over this life. And we think that somehow the discernment in our life and the way to fix these problems in our world is through us now discriminating back. If you have a family member that's been a jerk to you and they, they say weird things or whatever, and then you respond and just say, oh yeah, well, I'm not going to hang out with you anymore. I'm not going to invite you over. It's discrimination. It's, it's returning evil for evil. But God's design works in a different way. God's design says something else. And what happens is this, is that when we think that we can be judges with evil thoughts, when we think that I'm the one that's on the throne, what's happening is this. We're denying God's design. We're denying who he is. We're denying what he says. And life doesn't seem to work as well. And so, so what, does he, what does he say here? He, he says, uh, first of all, it violates God's design. Second of all, it makes no sense. It's not working. In your relationships... Have you ever seen a relationship get better? Like, oh, I'm going to show that person. Like, does that heal things? Like, things get better in your marriage? Oh, yeah? You're not going to give me what I want? Well, guess what? I'm not going to give you what you want. Yeah, that's, that's an uncomfortable night's sleep, right? Like, ee, you know? Feels like you're crawling into a bed of glass. You're broken glass at that, right? You know, it's just like, ee. This is, this is hard when I've acted that way. My wife, of course, has never done that. But we act like that. You, you act like that in your relationships and work. You, 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 do these, you do these things. Or somebody doesn't help you in what you're doing, so you don't help them in the future. As a result, the, the business isn't as profitable, and now you have bad relationships with people. I have a neighbor over the fence who uh, I have my trampoline uh, near her backyard because my yard is legion. It is big. It's, 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 it's very big, right? And so uh, she gets upset when my kids are jumping on the trampoline. And so I'm sitting there thinking, like, of all the things that I want to do back because what she does, she sets up a boombox in her backyard and she blasts, like, 80s butt rock. The sad thing is that my kids don't know the difference between like poison and whatever else and Def Leppard or whatever. And so they're just out there like, yay, we've got some music now. <laughs> so things are getting louder, right? And, which is her problem. I mean, the kids are like screaming. And, and I don't know what it is, but like when kids start screaming, it's just like this shrill like, ah, 
you know, it's just like, it's like a Mar- Mariah Carey note, like right, right up there at the top. It's just, it's insanity. And I, so I feel for her, but she does that, and it makes me feel like, could I put the trampoline closer to her backyard fence? Like, is there, is there a way that I could put it in her backyard? Like, I mean, like, is that possible? And, you know, and then I thought, you know, I work at a church, so I have some pretty big speakers that I could take down there. Like, if we, if we want to compete, like, I could compete, all right? I'm like, if this is a contest, I'm going to win, all right? I got subwoofers for days, right? So, what, so what's happening there, though, is that, like, here, I have this neighbor that I want to influence for Jesus and yet this stuff happens, and my first response is, is to essentially discriminate. It's, it's to essentially just do what I want, to not participate with God's design, and to, do, and to respond in a way that's, that's, that's hateful back. And so what happens is, is it doesn't make sense because my relationship with my neighbor doesn't get any better. Right? It's just, it's like one-upmanship. Oh, yeah, you're going to do that. I'll get a louder stereo, right? It's, it doesn't make any sense. And that's what James is saying here. Like, it doesn't make any sense at all. He says, God has chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. And then he says, this is where I was trying to go, are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court are, there, are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? James is speaking to them, and their issue may be a little bit different than ours, but he's basically saying, first of all, it's not in participation with God's design. Second of all, it just doesn't make any sense because just, you're just making the problem worse. Like you're trying to show favoritism to, towards these rich people because you want to see what you can get out of them, and yet what's happening is these are the very same people who apparently are taking them to court, who are blaspheming against God. We don't know what that means, but it sounds like maybe they're just being insulted in culture. Being, uh, you heard of this prayer shaming thing. God isn't going to fix this. That's kind of blaspheming God. It's, it, it's saying, who is your God? Whatever. And here these people are. They're, they're, they're essentially just saying, oh, like I'm still going to show favoritism towards them. I'm still going to whatever, but it doesn't make any sense because it's still making the problem worse. Our problem is a little bit different. When we show favoritism, when we discriminate, when we do those types of things, what it, it just continues, that it's just snowballs. It just snowballs and it snowballs and it snowballs and it gets larger and larger and larger in your life. And the last thing that happens is uh, it deserves judgment. Verse 8 says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. So here's, so here's the thing. If, if you're going to show love, I mean, if you, if you really fulfill this law, if you really do that, then, then you're doing well. That's a good thing. If you love your neighbor as yourself. But oftentimes we're confused on who our neighbor is, right? Then a, a lawyer... In Luke chapter 10, asks Jesus that, well, who's my neighbor? And then Jesus tells the story of there's a guy, and he's walking down a road, and he sees another guy who's nothing like him, and he's all beat up. And so what takes place? What's Jesus saying through that story about the Good Samaritan? He's saying, your neighbor are the ones 
Your neighbors are the ones who you do not choose. They're the ones that, that just happen to land next to you. They moved in next door. You know who else they are? They're the spouse that you married. But now they're a different person because they've matured and you haven't. You're just immature, right? And so they've matured. Well, they're not the same person I married. Well, things have changed. Now there's even more of an impetus to love that person because now it's kind of like they're, they're your neighbor. You didn't choose that person. Love your neighbor. It's the person you don't choose. But too often we say, you know, I, I want to pick my neighbors. I'm going to pick who I'm going to love. Oh, that guy's just a jerk, so I'm not going to love him. That person did that to me, so I'm not going to love them. But that's not fulfilling the royal law. That's not fulfilling the law that God gives to us. He goes on to say, But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. And so he, he, he's essentially saying this. Christians, listen up. Listen. When you violate this law and you don't love your neighbor as yourself, it's as though you violated the whole law, the whole enchilada, the whole thing. You're hateful towards somebody who, who has a sexual preference that you don't like. You have violated the whole law, not just one part. You violated the whole thing. He says, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has been accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not uh, commit adultery but do murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. And what he's implying through that, is you, you, could, you could be somebody who's just like, you know what, I just don't like that guy, and I don't want to hang out with him. What James is saying is this, is that like adultery, murder, those types of things, you know, oftentimes we say, you know, well, I've never done anything like that, right? And James is saying, no, you really have done something like that. Because not loving your neighbor is the root of murder. Not loving your neighbor is the root of adultery. Not loving your neighbor is the root of discrimination and racism and favoritism. Not loving your neighbor is the root of that. And sometimes, Christians, we don't get it. We think that we're fulfilling some law, but really, we're standing as an evil judge. We act like we got our stuff together when really, we're on the level of a murderer, an adulterer, or whatever bad sins you want to list right now. That's what's going on. So he says, so speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Do you know what that verse just said? It said this. If you are unmerciful to the people around you. You get political views that are a little edgy, and that comes out in an unmerciful way. If you're somebody who's, who's arrogant and prideful and thinking that your way is right, if you are not someone who shows mercy, do you know what's coming? Judgment without mercy. And why is that? 
because of this one thing. Because you never understood mercy in the first place. And guess what? People who know and love Jesus Christ understand mercy. They understand mercy because the gospel says this. I am more sinful than I ever would even dream of. The gospel says this. Like when I come to Jesus, there's a realization with somebody who's truly believed the gospel that says, I understand that I am one of the worst, the worst in fact. I understand that my life is so messed up that I'm, I'm so bad that Jesus had to die for me. And he's so good that anything good that resides in me only came from him. But the person who can sit in life and say, you know what, I'm not going to show mercy to that person, never received the gospel in the first place. The person who's able to say that is somebody who's never been acquainted with forgiveness and grace. That person has no mercy because they've never received the mercy of God. And what that does is this. It's a sobering point to say this. If you think that you're going to act any way that you want, you don't understand the mercy of God. You've never received Jesus Christ. But maybe you're just somebody who's like, I just didn't know. And that's a possibility as well. But here's where this, this is where the rubber meets the road, guys. The rubber meets the road right here and right now. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What kind of mercy are we talking about? It's the kind of mercy that Jesus displays on the cross. It's the kind of mercy that Jesus displays on the cross. And, and what happens is this, is that when Jesus goes to the cross and he is the Lord of glory, fully deserving of every honor, of every glory, of every praise, when he goes to the cross, he's completely stripped. He's whipped down. He's bleeding and he's bloody and every whiplash, every nail, every bit of pain that goes through his body is the judgment that you deserved. And it's his mercy expressed through the cross. But when we deny it, we just deny the cross. So here's the thing. We have to be people that live lives that demand a gospel explanation. Live a life that demands a gospel explanation. The insult comes. Mercy, we respond with mercy. The person comes in who smells badly, who's not dressed the way that we want. We show mercy. We live a life that demands a gospel explanation. We don't consider ourselves better than that person because we see ourselves in the position of sinfulness. And we say, I deserved judgment, but God, in his great mercy, made me alive in Christ. I have no ability to say that I'm better than this person. 
How does this respond with this whole racism thing? It says this, you know what? I want to prefer you. What's better for you? What's better for your race? It says in the refugee crisis, you know what? Come hell or high water, I'm here for the gospel. Jesus came and put himself not only at risk, but he purposefully went to the cross, was brutalized. Yeah, but the, Syrian, the Syrians could come and they could kill my family. Yes, but because of his great love for you, Jesus went to the cross. I'm not saying we shouldn't take security seriously. We have it in our church. That's not my deal. My deal is sharing the gospel. Our government can deal with the security issues. The gospel is the healing element because it says this, because I, ha I have experienced mercy, I will show mercy. Because Jesus went to the cross and I'm deeply ingrained with that, what I believe about God and his reality comes out in how I act towards people. What, what my orthodoxy is, my right belief results in orthopraxy, my right response. What you believe affects how you act. When you believe, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I couldn't save myself. I didn't do it on my own. It's a gift of God so that I can't boast. I come to my world with mercy and I say, you know what, you've insulted me. You're trying to insult my God with whatever you're doing. But you know what? God is so gracious to me. I was insulting him that way, and he was dying for me. And so I can be merciful to you. You know what you can do? You can come to your marriage, and you can live a life that demands a gospel ex explanation because you believe the gospel. And you say, honey, it doesn't matter what you're not giving to me. Men, get this right. Honey, doesn't matter what you're doing. I'm the head of the home, which means that I die. It means I bleed out for you. Women, if you're not married, marry a guy like this. Marry a guy who believes this. I'm the leader, which means in God's economy that I suffer for you. It doesn't matter what you do to me. However, doesn't matter. I'm going to live this way. I'm going to live a life that demands a gospel explanation. What I believe comes out in how I act. I believe that the gospel is true, that Jesus went to the cross for me, and therefore, that's how I'm going to act. The gospel heals all things. Believe it, and you'll act on it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray for people who get this. And I'm not praying for new people. I'm praying that our people, that we, that I would get this right here and right now. It's the only thing that will change my family. It's the only thing that will change my work. It's the only thing that will change my relationship with my neighbors. It's the only thing that will change our city. So, Lord, may we be people who are deeply ingrained with your gospel, that we're deeply acquainted with the mercy that you've given us so that we can show it to our city. Lord, may we be merciful to those people that in a worldly way do not deserve mercy, but in a godly way, they do. So Lord, let us be merciful to those people. I pray that we would exercise forgiveness and grace on a level that has never been seen. I pray that people would look at us and say, I cannot understand why they keep forgiving me. 
I cannot understand why they keep helping me. I cannot understand why they'd be in my house when I, I know that they disagree with my life. I cannot understand how absolutely gracious this person was to me. And Lord, I pray that there would be no other explanation. I pray that there'd be nothing else that we could point to. I pray that the only thing that we could point to is just say, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because I deserved total judgment. And he gave me incredible mercy. That's my only explanation. It's not because I want to be a good person. It's not because I want my world to be better. It is, it is those things. But it's all rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Make us into those people. We pray, Lord Jesus, it's in your name, amen.